That's my impression of the song that's playing right now. I always forget that you. I always forget that you insert music before at the beginning uh, and like end. At the very beginning, yeah. <laughs> and so when I'm listening to it on the on the re, on the you know when it's finished, I'm like, oh, oh, we have music. We got music. I, oh shoot, <laughs> shoot! I never, I don't remember that. I don't remember that at all. Um, but we are back uh, once again for another episode of Cinema Discovery Project. I'm Andrew Cabral with my co-host Stephen Billings. And it's been two weeks, but it feels like I just I, we just did this yesterday. It's, beca- it's because it's because when you're in corn, when you're inside all the time and you're not doing things, the the lines just blur like a David Lynch movie. Oh yeah, the, time has no meaning anymore. It's a time was kind of a relative thing to begin with, and now it's just like relativity dialed up to 11 yeah um it's just it's like one day rolls into the other like for example like we're we're recording this and tomorrow's already may and it doesn't even feel like it's may already and it's just absolute weirdness when it comes to time um but what's not weird is that we are going to be talking movies oh that's nothing weird about that shit this seems to be the only thing that has any sense of normalcy left in the world is that uh, Stephen and I get to talk about movies yeah. all the time. Um, but this week's episode, the main topic and what we really want to focus on is the the idea of uh, first movies or di- director's first movies. Because as we all know, everyone has to start somewhere. Yes. And we're going to be pretty much talking about, I would say... Um, the good ones? I don't know if I want to say that. Well, I mean, obviously, are... we're going to focus on the first movies. Of, like, the best debuts. Um, yes. The, the best director good, debuts. And, 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 you know, unfortunately, it's hard to really navigate um, and find, like, some really abs- – like, I mean, you could, but, like, it would take, like, some deep research to find great debuts that are not by great directors. Um there's there's some that that we have probably I'm sure but well I would say this just as a caveat not every great director has had a great and debut it's, a lot of some times it's the ones. opposite um, a lot yeah. of times so, the first movie yeah. of a great director is not it's like okay and then it takes them like, a movie or two to to get into their groove well you go back and you and sometimes if you if you're doing a deep dive into someone's filmography you go back to those first you know movie or two or three or whatever and you're like really, this was what such and such was doing? Because you have this perception of them being so amazingly great now yeah. that you go back and you're like, oh, they're awful, they're terrible. And probably at the time, that's perhaps what people thought. And then they little did they know that these these individuals would go on to have great careers. Well, just like, uh, and, you know, just like us as people, you know, it, it takes um, experiences and, and learning the craft, uh, learning how to live and how to live in that world and figuring out what your strengths are as a, as a director and storyteller and and you know it, sometimes it takes a couple movies to figure that out and um it really does and i i think that you know our list will probably have a lot of great filmmakers that you know are known for being great but i think we got a few that did one great one to begin and then never went anywhere <laughs> well i also i mean the way we kind of, we have like each of us to try, try to get five main ones but Obviously, doing a bunch of research, you realize there's a lot more than five great debut films. Oh yeah. So we'll just kind of bounce back and forth and throw out. Some We're going to throw as many out there as we can and whatnot. Um, and that's kind of how this episode is going to go. So it'll be a little less structured than some. Granted, we don't have. Uh, much of a structure to begin yeah, with. Yeah, we're pre- we're pretty even we're though we're pretty loose, but uh, uh pretty loose. Before we jump yeah. into it, I I do want to remind people, hey, 
give us some love uh, on the internets. Uh, get, go to the Apple Podcast and rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, leave us a review. Let us know any if we suck. You know, we, we'll take it. We'll take it like a champ. Um, <laughs> also, you know, Podbean. If you use Podbean, go there. Give us uh, give us some reactions. Dan Skip Allen always leaves us some uh, a comment. We should we should read some of them. Next time I'll try to remember to read read his comment from last week. He usually leaves us something. So, um, but uh, as we start, let's get in the Cinema Discovery uh, machine here. And uh, yep. I don't know where we're going because we could go anywhere. Uh, we could literally go anywhere. Um, <laughs> let me look at my. Let me look at my. I don't know if you want to start or if I want to start. Uh, I, let me look at my list. I can I can start if you want me to. Sure, sounds good. Um, I I thought this was a this was you know this is a great director. Um, this is I think maybe one of the best debuts ever. Um, oh, and that is Sydney Sydney Lamette's Twelve Angry Men. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what is interesting is we probably should have really conferred about each other's lists because I had it on mine. Well, I mean, we're not we're not ex- <laughs> expecting know. to have completely different lists. Right. I'm right. just I'm Luckily, just picking random novel. ones out of my list. I have literally and like picked... thirty movies here. Oh. Wow. Uh, you you picked literally one of the best ones to start out with, like the tippy yeah, top. Yeah, I picked tippy top. We can go from anywhere from here. We can fall down to the bottom. We can, you know, catch a, a twig on the way down. And be like, nope, right here. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I mean, uh, Twelve Angry Men. Uh, you know, this is a movie literally in one, it takes place in one room. It's, it's a play. And basically these 12, uh, uh, people are trying to decide the fate of a young man who they think maybe murdered somebody. Uh, we don't really know. Um, so it's, it's honest. It's just one of the best tightest scripts, um, just, just well acted movies ever. Um, and to be able to get that many great performances in one movie, and keep the intensity in that one room for what an hour, almost two hours, isn't it? Almost two hours long. The movie is an hour and thirty six okay, minutes. Okay, it's all, it's an hour so and a half. It's even tighter than yeah, you yeah. would think. It, it, but it moves like it moves like mm. nothing. Yeah, it's a beautiful movie. And it's all oh, it's an amazing movie. I've watched it so many times. Um, there is a Blu-ray available through uh, Criterion. Uh, there's a DVD counterpart as well. I mean, the cast of the movie, Martin Balsam, John Fiedler, Lee J. Cobb. Uh, Lee J. Cobb is one of my favorite character actors because hes I've never seen him in, her, in a role where he hasn't yelled <laughs> his lines out loud. It was kind of like, you know how people give Pacino crap for doing it now? Hoo-ha! He was doing this like throughout his entire... Lee J. Cobb was doing it throughout his entire career. It's amazing. <laughs> but Jack Warden's in the film, Jack Klugman, Henry Fonda, Ed Bagley. It's a tight film dealing with a lot of great themes. And yeah, it's a stage play, so the dialogue is incredible. And yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, it's there's an astonishing film. Um, I highly recommend it. Just can't recommend it enough. Um, I guess if you want to transition to me, let's no, see. it's my what turn again. Pick? No, I'm just oh, you, you want to go double time? <laughs> um, well, I'm not going to start out uh, just, uh, as high as Steven because. That's you know he he went straight out the gate swinging for the fences. Dan is. I'm gonna go with something a little I'm more. I'm sorry, low not key. Dan. Uh, <laughs> um, Andrew has this thing where he's like he wants things to be in a certain order. He was he probably wanted me to start at the very bottom and work I all did. the way. Well, I like to build build up to a finale. Oh, a crescendo. Jesus, this ain't a this like isn't a, a fireworks like show. 
Yeah, you don't start like when you go to a concert. You don't start out with your your mate your hits right well, away. Well, let's take let's, let's do this could. in movie. In movie, you know, when you when you're making a movie, a lot of times you want to get engage yeah. the audience right off the bat. That's how I'm thinking. True. That's how I'm thinking. Okay. So I'm gonna well see since Stephen went high, I'm gonna go slightly lower, and it's not even lower. <laughs> I'm gonna go a little under the radar. Okay. I don't know. I'm gonna go with a uh, slacker. Slacker by, Steve, by Richard Linklater. Okay. Um, because it's a movie that is so influential on a whole like generation or movement of like filmmakers that I just find it so unique and so fascinating. And the movie itself is just different. Like I've never seen a movie quite like it. There's no plot to it whatsoever. The way the movie is structured is that you're moving from like one person to another just in this place in like this this urban area. You're just seeing people just talking and interacting with one another and saying stuff and just there's no characters in it. It's just a series of situations that can be about anything. And it starts out coincidentally with Richard Linklater like uh, himself like sit, like getting off a plane and getting into a taxi and just talking about like philosophy or something and then the camera will move to someone else and the, and and they'll pick up and do something it's just incredible and i always remember going back and watching it and being like initially being like un- unsure about what type of like what i'm getting myself into but over the years i've appreciated it much much more uh the film came out in 1990 so we're talking 30 years ago um so, but it's the start of that whole movement, and I think it's a pretty bold debut from a filmmaker who always does his own thing for the most part. That's the one thing I think Stephen and I have understood about Richard Linklater is that he's never, he's hardly ever really done done a movie that he hasn't felt has been something um, from him directly. You know, he's very much an auteur. But I really like Slacker, so I thought I had to mention. Oh yeah. Um. I don't know if you would say that this is lower or if this is high. <laughs> We're gonna stop ranking. But, these, these. but, the, but uh, this this is definitely uh, it's it's um you could say it's it's a monumental film. It, it's it's Ooh. it's influences there. Um, it's one of the biggest influencers, I would say, and that is Night of the Living Dead. Uh, George Ro- oh, George A. Nice. Romero here. Um, Talk about starting a genre. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, you know, for a debut, I mean, I mean, of course, you know, if you know any, if you've seen any special features or anything, how shoestring of a budget this was, this, you know, made mm. for nothing. Um, Talk about one location. Yeah, one location. It's a, it's a house. Yeah, a house, <laughs> you know. Um, where did they shoot? What, didn't they shoot in like oh, Pittsburgh? Was it was Pittsburgh? It Maryland, Maryland? Pennsylvania? But it was like, you know, they like kind of did like the whole gorilla thing or they just like went to like a, you know. A cemetery and shot in the cemetery and just you know but they uh, a lot of non-actors right like people you know oh yeah like there's no one in it who's of any note um in terms of like um no s- stars or anything like that but um, obviously I'm to see where it was actually shot you know night of the living dead kind of codified that that genre um the zombie you know genre a lot of the roles that you get from a lot of um, zombie films come from this. The Walking Dead very highly influenced. Oh, of course. Oh, and it was Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. It was Pennsylvania. Yeah, mostly Pennsylvania. Like, there's one part here that says Washington, D.C., but yeah. it's Pencil- mostly Pennsylvania. But the movie is, so is you know, as Stephen was saying, 
it, it set a lot of the ground rules for what the subgenre of of zombie movies would become. And now there were, I mean, I, I did a whole review of the Criterion Blu-ray, so I kind of got into it. But like before this, there were movies that had to deal with the undead, but not quite like this. Yeah. Yeah, um, there were movies like where like the dead would come back to life through like like a voodoo magic or something like that or or ghosts or things like that but this movie really uh, kind of you know created the the zomb- the modern zombie that we know and of course George A. Romero would go on to pretty much do a lot of horror throughout his career and kind of go back and revisit the zombie the zombie uh, tr- uh genre a few times like a, um like day of the dead um uh, and all that kind of stuff and uh, and dawn of the dead and stuff like that but yeah this it's it's a, it's interesting it's interesting cuz the movie's so low key like there's no real like frills to it or anything it's so like steven said gorilla it, and low it's, budget it's very much more about the people which is why it really influences the the walking dead you know the, the you know the zombies are part of that show but it's not it's about how the people react to the situation more than anything right um but it's it's a movie that you know maybe a lot of people today would find slow or boring or mm. but yeah it, it, it it's definitely if you're a zombie or even a horror fan uh, I mean really just a film fan in general it's kind of I think you need to watch it um I think it's definitely important for that genre as a whole it's also important that that you know because it, you know the lead is a is a is a black man you know that it's not yes. something also that happened a lot then. Um, yeah, this is also 1968, so we're talking like this civil rights movement era. Yeah, I mean, you had Sidney Poitier, that was about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sidney Poitier was around. You had like Harry Belafonte, Sidney Poitier. Um, interesting, yeah. So, um, transitioning over to me now, I'm kind of a little over the map, but I'm going to go I'm gonna go with um, uh, The Virgin Suicides, okay. which is Sofia Coppola's first film. Now, with Sofia Coppola, a lot of people remember her second film and talk about that a lot more, Lost in Translation, you know, with Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray. Uh, that movie seems to get talked about a lot when when they bring up Sofia, Sofia Coppola. But for me, The Virgin Suicides is amazing. The movie came out in 1999, starred uh, very young Kirsten Dunst, and she's worked she's, with Sofia Coppola a couple crush. of times she after. Was my crush. I think she was a lot of crush for a lot of people. Still, from maybe generation. a little bit. I think we kind of grew up with her, and, yeah. um, you know. We saw, we saw her in Jumanji, and we Jumanji. We saw her she in, was in uh, Small Soldiers. Small Soldiers, and then of course Spider Man. Yeah. When we were all, you know, when the first Spider Man came out, I was like fifteen, yeah, or whatever. So we were we were all young. But Kirsten Dunst has been working with Sofia Coppola throughout her career. She worked with her in Marie Antoinette, um, as well as the uh, most recent film, Beguiled. The Beguiled. And, and so they have a good working relationship with one another. But this film is just incredible in so many, so many ways. It, the, the, the thematic depth in this film is so haunting and so, I think, relevant that it, it blew me away when I first saw it. For those of you who don't know this movie, I'll, I'll just read the synopsis from IMDb for you. Um, a group of male friends become obsessed with five mysterious sisters who are sheltered by their strict religious parents in the, in suburban Detroit in the mid-1970s. And what's so fascinating about that is the film is dealing with this idea of um, just social oppre- uh, repression and oppression and just 
forcing people just to be so sheltered and con- you know conservative to the point where it bec- can become you know uh psy- psychotic psychosis that like, can set in like it's just that it's just that harmful to one's psyche and that happens a lot nowadays too with this idea of repression and oppression in many different ways and the film is really touching upon that but just the way she shot it was just so incredibly haunting it felt like you know like almost surreal at times um, I want to say who shot the film because she worked with. No, she didn't work with who I thought she worked because she worked with Harris Savides a few times, and this was not one of those times. Who shot the movie? He, she she shot the film with Edward Lockman, who did uh, actually a lot of Todd Haynes' work. That uh, that's sounds, interesting. Far yeah. from Heaven, Carol, I'm not there, stuff like that. But I just thought it would would have been him. But yeah, I I really liked the film and. Film also has the stars Kathleen Turner, James Woods in it, Josh Hartnett, um, Scott Glenn, Danny DeVito's in the film. Um, yeah, it, this is a film that's another film that I was waiting years and years and years for this to finally come out on Blu-ray, and it did finally come out on Blu-ray through Criterion a few years ago, and it was one of the first like ones I bought, like uh, as soon as it came out because I just had to have it. So that's virgin. That's the Virgin Suicides. Yeah, she is. Yeah, I, I. It's been a while since I've seen it. I, I saw it. I got it on DVD. Still, I need to get the, the Blu-ray. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, let's go to something that's somewhat new. How about District Nine from Neil Blomkamp? Probably his best. Film. It's definitely so his best place film. to start. <laughs> he's only he only has like three. So, uh, well, he's been making a lot of short films. Um, oh, I guess that's if, true. But I guess I was talking about. I know, yeah, he's got three features. Um, he's almost made a couple other features. You know, he can't he can't seem to get the luck to get anything started again because I don't know if it's. Yeah, he was he was supposed to do a Halo movie. He was supposed to do, supposed to do a RoboCop movie. Yeah, an alien movie, and that never happened. Um, but yeah, go. District yeah, District Nine. Nine, man. I mean, it's this is a you know a social political sci-fi movie set in, if I'm not mistaken, is it in somewhere in Africa, South Africa? It's uh, South Africa, I think Johannesburg. Yeah, I want to say. And so you know, our main character played by um, Shoto Copley, which I love. I love him. Um, Shoto Copley. I can't do the voice. That was terrible. His voice is sometimes you can't understand what he yeah, says. Yeah, it's very thick I love accent. his. I lo- I, I, he's he's a very very good actor. Um, he's done. I think has he done all three of his movies? He's played a character in all three of his movies. I think right. Was he in the third? Was he in Chappie? Didn't he play the bad guy that was coming after him in Chappie? Uh, yes, he's yeah, in it. Yeah. yeah, he is in it. So. Basically, in in District Nine, you have alien these aliens that uh, have uh, kind of you could say shipwrecked on Earth, um, and they're hovering above the city. And so, you know, of course, we're we see this big floating thing in the sky. We got to go investigate it, and we get in there, and you know, basically, this is kind of an immigrant thing. You know, this is kind of an allegory for immigrants, and you know, and how do we deal with that? Um, reality where we got people from other countries refugees coming in and and how do we do we have a responsibility to help them uh find their life or help them move on or help we know you know so it's got a lot of that in there and then it kind of reverses it on our main character 
it puts him kind of in the shoes of the people he's been kind of help oppressing. Um, so it, it's, it's a very, first of all, striking visual movie for the budget. Um, I think Neil Blomkamp had help from Peter Jackson, um, to help, you know, with the effects and stuff. And it was, it's, it's amazing. The effects for, for what the budget is, is really good. The aliens, they look kind of like cockroaches. Um, <laughs> but they, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a cool sci-fi original movie. I w- I know I can tell Blum, Blumkamp's tried to continue that style through his other movies, but it just, they haven't hit as well as that. The first district nine did, um, Elysium, uh, with Matt Damon and Chappie, um, just haven't been as good. Um, though I kind of enjoy the movies okay, but right. um, District 9 to me is kind of a modern sci-fi classic to me. Um, but, yeah. Well, I remember watching it in the theater, came out in 2009. Yeah, the movie has a $30 million budget, which is like nothing. Com- I mean, some indie movie, some budget. like kind of indie-ish movies have that budget, you know? Yeah, I know, and they have no big special effects, you know, special like effects yeah. or alien effects or anything like that. Yeah, but his movies always have a political um, element to them. Yeah, and it, sometimes it's a little forced, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's done really well, like in District Nine. Um, Chappie, coincidentally, Charlotte Copley did the voice of Chappie in Chappie. Yeah, okay, but that's where he comes in. Um, but yeah, I think this movie was produced by Peter Jackson or uh, or a Peter Jackson Production Company or something like that. Um, yeah, I I can't disagree with you more in terms of the praise you have for it. Um, for me, let's see. Oh, so many choices, so many, so many choices. Um, let me go with, um, you know, I'll go with, you know, I'll go with a film that is considered perhaps the best of this person's filmography, kind of going along with what you just did. And I'm going to go with John Singleton's A Boys in the Hood. Cool. Boys in the Hood, I mean, John Singleton did make other films other than Boys in the Hood, but Boys in the Hood was his debut film, and it's considered his best, and it's 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 a, it's an amazing, um, I would say, thematically deep film about, like, urban life, like, African-American urban life, you know, in in the late '80s, early '90s, but it's it, what makes it so strong is that it was so real, and that it still has relevance. The film came out in 1991. Um, yeah, it was his first film, and then he did like Poetic Justice, and then Higher Learning, and um, other movies, you know, Shaft and whatnot. But this is definitely the highlight of his career. This film is kind of the starting point for a lot of actors, um, specifically like Morris Chestnut as well as Cuba Gooding Jr. I mean Ice Cube, you know, he's not the I don't think he's the best actor in the world, but this was kind of like the very early start for his acting career that he's kind of like, you know, taken and gone with more than I would say his music career, which has kind of faded a little bit in the background of his life. Um Angela Bassett's in the film. Um this is a film that's dealing with just trying to survive in the um you know uh, the, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, the Crenshaw ghetto of Los Angeles. You know what I mean? Just you know that that type of ur- uh, hardcore urban life and how suffocating it is, and how 
entrapping it is and how you, you try you try really hard to escape it but you keep falling back into it i mean it chronicles the life of these two of these these young kids and just you know the tragedies and traumatic things that they have to go through i think Lawrence fishburns in the film he plays cuba gooding jr's um father and he's just absolutely fantastic in the movie as well but yeah boys in the hood is one that I always highly recommend. There's Boys in the Hood and there's Menace to Society. Yeah, yeah. Those these films are like, I think, kind of interlocked with another, with one another because they came out, you know, around the same era. Um, but Menace to Society is is almost like a le- I want to say less romanticized version of Boys in the Hood. It's just a different version of Boys in the Hood. You know what I mean? It, it it's different yet it's also its own thing, um, and it's. Those two films are dealing with a lot of similar themes, but approaching it in in their own way, if that makes any sense at all. Um, and I think, and I'm trying to see if that, yeah. Speaking of which, I think *Menace to Society* is the first too. film of the Hugh of the Hughes of the Hughes brothers yeah. as well. So. Which went on to do. They, they ended up doing what? Dead presidents. I just did a. I just did a. I just did a double. It's win, okay. I, 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 I wasn't <laughs> going to talk about that movie. So. <laughs> okay. Um. They're both great. Yeah. 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 Um. All right. And also, rest in peace, John Singleton. Yes, we lost him just a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was the one year anniversary a couple of days. Oh, ago. Oh really? Wow. Um, I'm gonna go old school. I'm gonna go back to. Uh, Back to the 60s, 1962. Ooh, I'm excited. A little movie called Knife in the Water from Roman Polanski. Oh, wow. I did not see see this one wow. coming. That shows how much you think of me. Thank you. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Knife in the Water. I, this, uh, is a, uh, sm- this is an intimate movie from Roman Polanski. Uh, you got a couple that are on their way... To do, have a sailing trip, you know, and then they uh, decide to pick up a hitchhiker, and basically this is a movie about, uh, I would say, as we call it today, uh, toxic ma- masculinity kind of movie. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a film, like, like about, like, male ego yeah. and combative nature of it. Yeah, and, you know... You know these these three go out on a tri- on the tri- on the water and basically it's it, it's uh, a male a dick swinging contest the whole time. <laughs> I was gonna say it really yeah, is um, m- mostly from the husband, um, but it, it goes both ways. Uh, and then it kind of I don't want to ruin the movie, but it kind of gets to a point where the the childishness of everything goes in a like dangerous direction and. Um, I, I, I thought this was a very, I mean, um, smart debut movie and some, some of the composition, the shot compositions were very good and for, for a first movie. I mean, I was like, and, and, and the, the choice to shoot on water, you know, mm. Spielberg would tell you this, you know, it's not easy. It sucks. Um, and so most of this movie being on, on the water had to have been a challenge. Um, though of course they're not doing anything big, you know, nothing very challenging in the sense of like the actions, but still, I mean, having to be on the water for hours at a time to shoot is not an easy thing. So I wonder how hard it is just to, to keep visual continuity on, on shooting on water. I would, I would think that it's easier to fool the audience, um, 
Especially, well, I think, you know, it helps the black and white, I think. Helps. It does help, Cause you, yeah. Because you don't have to deal with, like, I guess you do have to deal with lighting and stuff you like do. that. But you don't have to deal with, like, colors and, and matching yeah, colors you, and the way certain landscapes can just seem the same, you know. Like, right. you, can, you can fool the audience a little bit. You're not paying attention so much. Um, but I, I thought this was a very, very good, strong debut. Um, I, I hadn't seen it until recently. Um but I, 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 I really enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a great choice. I, I did not even think of that in the film. Um, boom! I beat it. Mm, yeah, boom! Kind of, kind of. I'm reeling right now. Steven threw a hell of a punch. Um, let me. Come on, hit me back. Me, hit me back, Andrew. Come on, hit me back. Come on now. Um, oh man. I want. I want to. I'll. I'll uh, yeah. I'll, I'll do it now. Okay. Um, <laughs> Night of the Hunter. Ah, ah, Night. Uh, of, <laughs> <laughs> Night of the Hunter is the only film uh, directed by actor Charles Lawton, so I guess it is the debut. Yeah. Um, came out in 1955, starring one of our favorites, Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum. I just actually watched Robert Mitchum in another movie the other night. He just seems to pop up every every so often. But it stars Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters, uh, Lillian Gish. Um, it's... Man, I, it's... This movie, it's so hard to describe this movie because it doesn't do it justice. Um, it, let's see, let me read this uh, synopsis. Uh, a religious fanatic marries a, a gullible widow whose young children are reluctant to tell him where their real father hid $10,000 he'd stolen in a robbery. That sounds like a kind of generic plot, but the way in which Robert Mitchum plays the character of Harry Powell is so insanely like sadistic and haunting frightening and he's just like this he's almost not even he's not even real like he's <laughs> just like a like a haunting like i would say uh, a creature almost the way he hunts these children down throughout the film the stuff he does just his his maniacal preaching cuz he's like he's like talking about like god and the bible and stuff but of course he's also a sadistic you know, terrible person. Uh, it's just a wild, wild movie. And it's a film that needs to be talked about more. Just because I know cinephiles know it, but it's just a crazy movie that came out mid-1950s. Which it, I think the movie was way ahead of its de- of its time in terms of, like, its its content and just its tone. And... and uh, there are there. Unfortunately, when the film came out, it was it, it didn't do well. The critics didn't like it. People didn't like it, and it's only like in the modern times that people I think have come to really appreciate its brilliance. And unfortunately, since it didn't do well, Charles Lawton, the actor, never got to make another movie after yeah. that. And that's one of the downsides of making a movie that that even though it's not bad, if it's not received well and it's your first movie. They're not going to give you another chance to make another one, no, or maybe you, that person won't want to make another. Yeah, one. at least it won't be as easy. But um, you know, <laughs> apparently, apparently it's worth it's worthy enough that they're apparently going to make a remake. So, uh, I did see yeah, that. Um, so maybe uh, that will. Though, I'm typically on the other side of this where I don't like. I'm not that I'm I'm completely against remakes because there's some good remakes. Um. But 
typically if a remake comes out and it's worse than the original, it can deter people from even seeing the original. That's my problem with remakes. That do, yeah, that but does in this case, maybe even as its existence can maybe shed some light on the original. Hmm. I like that. I like that optimism. I'm trying to be. (laughs) Um, I make, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of the same way. I'll I'll maybe give it a try, but I understand. You're going to watch it. You're going to watch it like I'm. uh, It depends on who, on who they get to, to play the Robert. We talked to, didn't we talk about this? Oh yeah. Didn't I say Michael Shannon? Michael Shannon. That's perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. Talk about somebody who can go crazy really well. Yeah. yeah, he. It's we already cast the movie for him. I know we already. He did already it. did I mean, it, man. It's just over. Give, just give us the it's money. It's over, we'll do it motherfucker. For you. <laughs> um, All right, go on. So, what's your choice? Uh, my next one, I'll go. Um, it's uh, somewhat new. Uh, in the last twenty years, um, he's a he's a guy that's become very popular as a director. He's doing some big big budget stuff now uh, but when he started out like a lot of them they did a very small movie and th- this was a small horror movie called Saul and it's James oh, I know Wan who going with yeah the good one yeah the good the good Saul movie the first one um, which some of the other ones are fun um, I think they get steadily more ridiculous but they're doing another one yeah, it never ends it never ends. <laughs> it never ends but the original Saul movie which he I'm pretty sure he did a short film of this before um, and then he yes. did a feature. Um, it stars what is it? Uh, what's his name? Carrie Elwes. Carrie Elwes. Yeah, um, yeah. And some others. Uh, but basically, you know, if you know the story of Saul, people get stuck in a room, and then some. You know, there's. It's basically they got to find their way out of the room through different clues and games. And I don't want to spoil the movie, but it's kind of the movie I think that set us off in the two thousands. Uh, for mm. that, what we yeah. what they now call the torture porn uh, era of movies. Yeah, this idea of horror movies just showing trying to gore. get his push the envelope gr- with gratuitous, gratuitous violence. Um, yeah, and it's not like the horror genre hadn't delved into that area before because they oh sure, had, but it became but typically that was in B movies. Yeah, it became much more mainstream. I think yeah. in the two thousands, at least I think for our generation. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't see, you know, you got Hostel and you got other, you know, movies like that, of that ilk, um, that would come out. And, you know, I, I think, I, I just think that the thing that stays with me, of course, is the ending of that movie. You know, the, the way that it all goes down, um, really, um, I think that makes that an ingenious horror movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's it, to me, it's one of the great uh, horror debuts, of, you know. It defined a generation, definitely. Good choice, good choice. Uh, another out of the box choice, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back in time now, back to 1966. Now I'm gonna go with um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yes, which is I knew. His see, debut film it's on my list, and I was like, Nichols. I'm gonna let Andrew have that one because I know he's gonna like that. He's gonna talk. About it. Yeah, it was interesting because <laughs> I went back to make sure because. What is interesting is that Mike Nichols came out with The Graduate in 1967, which was the year right after that. And that's the movie that I think people remember Mike Nichols for a a lot. But Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is an amazing movie. Uh, It's uh, Talk about, I mean, acting and dialogue and all that stuff. Um, It's a movie that stars um, Elizabeth Taylor uh, as well as Richard Burton. And, you know, they had... 
an on again, off again, real life relationship. They were married, divorced, married, divorced, married. You know what I mean? So they had a lot of, um, you know, interpersonal uh, chemistry, and they were in a lot, a lot of films together as well. Uh, but the film also stars uh, George Siegel and Sandy Dennis, and this film is very play like. I in th- and basically, it's based on a play actually. Uh, it's it's based on a play that you can actually buy because um, I've been wanting to buy it for years. But um, basically, a bitter aging couple with the help of alcohol, alcohol never really <laughs> helps in most situations, uh, use their young house guests to fuel anguish and emotional pain towards each other over the course of a distressing night. It's one of those films that everything takes place over like a, like a 24-hour period or one night, and it's just these two couples getting gradually more drunk as the night goes on and all of these emotions and hatred and anguish and, you know, everything just gets poured out as, you know, alcohol tends to do. And just the dialogue is just back and forth and and bitter. And uh, it's just, it's very, the whole movie is very toxic and very, um, uh, if you're a nervous person to watch people arguing, this may not be the best film for yeah. you. Uh, but yeah, it just I absolutely love it. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor, I think, is one of the best actresses ever, and she's just fully on display in this film. And what they did, though, is since Elizabeth Taylor is considered probably one of the most beautiful women or actresses ever, is they really dressed her down to make her this uh, old to make her look older, to make her look more uh, less attractive, to make her look more run down, if you will to really just play up her anger and just her emotions and all that kind of stuff. And it worked very, very well. So Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is is another great film that I don't think gets the highlight I think that other Mike Nichols films do. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is what people have to remember um, about directing is, on. A, I mean, some would say the philosophy is, is, big part of the biggest one of the biggest part of their job is to get performances out of actors that's their main thing that they their gift if they have it you know and of course for your first movie to get them performances is amazing um but okay um i guess i'll go i'm gonna stay i'm gonna you know i'm gonna get pretty new this one this one's really new um this came out a couple years ago um and this is from Boots Riley. Sorry oh. to bother you. Good debut. Yeah, very good debut. I, I, when this came out, man, I it was definitely in my top top ten of the year. Um, it's got it, it's it's a satirical, you know, it's a satirical look at, um, you know, kind of our workforce, um, how, how you know big corporations um, kind of use up. Uh, people and you know run them dry and just just for financial gain. Um, I think that the way that this takes a look at that is not only hilarious. Um, it, it, you know people will remember this movie for its kind of the gimmick of, of of how to sell the movie, which was that the black people had white voices, did their white voices to help sell to to get further in their company. Um, right. which was, of course, the big thing that drew me in, too. I thought it looked hilarious. But not only is it hilarious, but it's also very dark. Um, some of the imagery and some of this stuff is dark, and then it gets very weird, um, you know, surreal to an extent. Um, so I thought this was a very uh, ambitious, uh, 
um, and original debut. Um, and uh, it's one. It, it's one. I, I'm, it makes me want, just talking about it now. Makes me. I want. I want to pop it in tonight. Maybe. <laughs> and rewatch yeah, it's it. been. A, it's been a while since I watched it, so I kind of kind of want to watch it again. I've seen it. I've seen it twice, and it definitely shows. It, it it's so ambitious, so interesting, and so allegorical that it's it's you have to watch it multiple times to kind of get catch er, er, all the little the most things, of it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's commenting on racism, capitalism, all kind of stuff. Um, Danny Glover's yeah, in there. A, Dan, yeah, Danny Glover <laughs> is in there. Um, I was forgetting the main actor's name for some reason. I, he's it's oh, it's uh, Lakeith Lake Stanfield. Stanfield. I love him. That dude needs to be. He's showing up in. He a lot needs of to stuff, be starring right? in a lot of stuff. Um, I wanted to see the movie he had this year that came out this year, The Romance. Oh, I have to see it. Um, I can't remember what it, the fo- the photograph. I think you are yeah. right. Yeah, I think that was supposed to that came out around the the time everything kind of yeah. shut down. I missed seeing and, it, but uh, and I heard it was pretty good. Able to see it. Yeah, the photograph. Yeah. Um, I, I love him as an actor. Uh, since you know another movie that we might talk about later. <laughs> There's oh, a few movies. Okay. There's a few movies. He's been in some other movies, but there's one particular one he was in that we might talk about later. So, oh, okay. That's a that's what we like to call a tease. A tease. A tease. But I'm gonna go a little bit under the radar now, and it just it just has become just because it has be uh, this person has become uh, an, a director that I've got into all of her work recently, and it's honestly one of the best like just not discoveries, but like um, explorations of of kind of a person's filmography that I've done in recent times. And this is uh, Celine Siama's first film, Water Lilies, which came out in 2007. And this film, what struck me so much about this film is is because I watched it after I had seen uh, her newest film, which is... um, um, uh, Uh, Portrait of a a Woman on Fire. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And... And having watched that and then going back and going through her filmography, you see that she's she's just perfecting her craft through every movie. You know what I mean? Like she's she's exploring certain avenues that are similar throughout her films, but she's doing but she's touching on just enough differently to explore new avenues within it. And it's really f- fascinating. But her first film, Water Lilies, is a film about kind of um, first like love and like sexual awakening amongst amongst like adolescent uh um girls and whatnot and women and just the complications and the emotions that go through all of that and the confusing time that that leads to and it's a universal thing because all of us at that time growing up and going through adolescence were confused about all kinds of stuff you know what i mean so she's hitting on all a bunch of universal things but she's also hitting on specific things that specifically cater to what young women go through and the way in which she layers her films is done through such subtlety and such nuance that it doesn't hit you it doesn't bully you over you know what i mean like some people who deal with this like who deal with um elements like this like they just hit you over the head with it and it's like obvious like oh here it is all on your face you know this is what i'm trying to tell you what this movie's about her films are not like that at all not even portrait of a lady on fire like they're just it's just filled with just subtlety and that's tough to do with the uh for for a lot of filmmakers because filmmakers 
sometimes specifically have a point or have specific messages they want to get over in their films and they'll you know kind of overcompensate to do that but not her she just kind of lays it all out for you nice and easily and digestible and I just really love that. So her first film is called Water Lilies, and I highly recommend people see it. Yeah, I need to check them out. Where do, where do you where have you been watching them? Um, they're all of her movies are on the Criterion Channel okay. streaming service. Cool. Water Lilies, Tomboy, Girlhood, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is not there yet, but since it's coming out through Criterion, yeah. I have to assume that. Oh, it'll be it'll, it'll there be there eventually. eventually. Yeah, but yeah, I want to check out her other stuff. I, I, Portrait of the Lady on Fire was arguably the best movie of last year. So. Uh, yeah, it was it was both on our top. It was five. Yeah, it was our. Yeah. I think it was both our number twos. It was both our yeah, number twos. Yeah, so so yeah, we yeah I, I need to check them other ones out. All right, I'm gonna go really old school on you here. Uh, okay. Mister Francois Truffaut, four hundred blows. There we go. There we go. This is film school one hundred one. This is one of the main. We are your ones. instructors. Yes, this is one of the ones you have to. You really kind of need to watch, guys. Uh, it's kind of one of the the flagship movies of the French New Wave, um, and you know this is about a young boy kind of going through. It's it's very much just a coming of age kind of movie. You know, uh, a young child that's kind of neglected by his parents and kind of just goes out and and does his own thing. He gets into petty crime. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of just learning things through experiences just on the street and just doing, you know, it's not, not, not a very plot heavy movie. It's just a, a movie about, it's very experiential, experiential, uh, movie. And, um, the performance of the young, the kid, um, one of the great young, you know, child performances, um, Jean-Pierre Ledad, um, he, he's fantastic. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it you know, I'm sure most people know, you know, the film people know, you know, Francois Truffaut was, was a critic and, you know, very much, you know, this was a whole new, mo- you know, we have a French New Wave episode you can go back and listen to. We do. And, um, nice plug. And, you know, you know, that whole era is about a bunch of critics getting together to want to become filmmakers and show that they could do, they could do it, you know, you, you know, Godard and, and, uh, who am I forgetting? Godard and, um, well, Godard, Truffaut, Claude Chabrol. Yeah, there's a, there's uh, a bunch of them. Melville was in there. But um, um Agnes. Yeah, Barra. Agnes. She wasn't a critic, though, was she? No, but she was part she of definitely that part group. of that. But like the main critic ones, you know, that that's kind of who I was trying to hit on is that they all kind of just decided they wanted to start making movies and and yeah, I mean it's it's a very naturalistic, honest movie and one of the greatest debuts of all time. I mean it's. I can't disagree with you. Like I said, it's Film School 101. I mean, it's counterpart. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. This is not my choice. Can't steal my choice. But yeah, Breathless, which is Godard's of first film, those, they kind of go hand in hand in terms of starting the new wave. Um, it's, But I would I would say that that's kind of where you start with it comes to the French new wave. But listen to the episode that we did about French new wave. But yeah, uh, so Breathless is a, is a debut film as well. You know, that's a great debut film. Um I also want to go with. I guess I'll stick with you know. Uh, I guess I'll stick in the in French cinema, um, and I want to go with. I can find, of course. Uh, oh, IMDb, you kill me sometimes. Ah, um, Jesus. Because <laughs> I'm trying to find the specific film, so that I don't know. And of course, they're gonna make me spell out the person's name. But it's 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 Jacques Demy's first film, Lola. Okay. Um, 
and it can be found in the Jacques Demy box set from Criterion. And of course, I had to spell out the whole Jacques Demy's name because I maybe couldn't find it. But it's yeah, it's his first feature film. He had a bunch of shorts beforehand. Came out coincidentally 1961. So we're talking about the same era of French cinema, the French New Wave. He was part of the French New Wave as well. And I, I bring up uh, Jacques Demy because his films were different than I would think than Godard or Truffaut's, but they were all still part of this new French New Wave. Um, so the plot of Lola is a bored young man meets his former girlfriend, now a cabaret dancer and single mother, and soon finds himself falling back in love with her. And the film kind of deals with all of those things, um, but it famously has, uh, the film famously has a um, a song that I think she sings called, uh, is it C'est moi, c'est Lola? Which is like, it's me, it's Lola, or something. I think that's what that translates into. Um, but that's Jacques Demy's first film. And the reason why I also bring up Jacques Demy is because I'm, I'm going to be stealing the spotlight here for a second because I do want to mention Agnes Varda's first film as well. So and three, three movies in a row, okay. Oh, uh, yeah. And the reason why I'm, because you got to kind of bundle these together. Uh, because Once again, um, he, he's his obsessiveness to, to have a certain uh, order of things. I know. I, it's like I'm grouping, I'm grouping everything to kind of get everything in order. But Agnes Varda's first film, which came out in 1955, which kind of technically, in my opinion, kind of is predates the French New Wave, but it's a French New Wave film, is uh, La, Pointe, La Pointe Court, which is a film about uh, following the story of a couple who goes to a small French fishing village to try to solve the problems of their deteriorating marriage. And what is interesting about La Pointe Court is that it's shot in almost like a documentary style. It's very uh, cinema verite, very, um, you know, guerrilla style filmmaking, and which is very similar to kind of the way the French New Wave was, which was just kind of this new form of filmmaking. And the reason why I mentioned Agnes Ford along with Jacques Demy is because they were, you know, they were married they were married to one another at one point. Um, sadly, they've both passed away, Agnes Varda passing away most recently. But um, what I really liked is that uh, the reason why I bundled these two movies together is because oftentimes um, Agnes Varda would work with Jacques Demy on his films. And I think she had a hand in writing that song, um, Say Moi, Say Lola. And it's just kind of interesting how those two kind of pair together. And then, of course, you got all of the other people around at the time during the French New Wave. And, yeah, a lot of first films were happening back then of, like, these titan people that you would go into to learn about in film school decades later. But they all had to start somewhere, and they all kind of started around that 1950s, 60s era, which was kind of a changing time in movies. Yeah. But, Stephen, I've talked too much. Please oh, no, do, like, five it's of okay. these. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, why don't you take a break and go put your movies on your shelf I'm, somewhere i know i'm gonna lose my voice during Jeez. this episode all right um let's uh go to somebody that we, we both enjoy here uh you know this isn't too old this i think this is from the 90s um mr ryan johnson's brick nice yeah great first nice. film you know but you know if, if you've been listening to the podcast you know we're both big film noir fans and uh, this was kind of Ryan Johnson's out of the gate, his his uh, kind of homage to, to the film noir genre. And, and you know, it's set in modern times of that time, and, and it's set in a high school. And you got Joseph Gordon-Lovett, who's this kind of playing the the detective of the story. A girl goes missing, um, and he's kind of on the trail to find her. And um, it, it, it's, it's, it's so unique because of how it uses 
old school storytelling in a new era. You know, you know, we have what we call neo noirs that very much have some of them conventional noir things wrapped up in a more modern time. But the way they use it in this movie, it's like they're making almost kind of making fun of old school um, film noir. Um, they just kind of they talk very fast you know, and they say they say certain language that isn't language you typically hear uh, people of today ta- how they talk, um, and you know just how he 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 films the movie. You know, you know he he hides certain you know moments away from the audience until the right time, and and it, it's it's just a really I think entertaining and unique debut um, from somebody who. Is basically hated now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, we both don't agree with. We don't with agree that with sentiment. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brick came out two thousand and five. Oh, two thousand five. Okay. Yeah. So not quite the nineties. Ryan Johnson's not that old. Ah, uh, you know, um, whatever. Yeah, it's close enough. Whatever. You were close enough. It's not. It's not a trivia show. Um, but it's yeah. Talk about uh, film film noir homage. It just and it's set in um, like the high school setting, like teenagers. Yeah. Like in a film noir, you know, plot, which is fascinating to me because those two, it's like, you know, the old school uh, talking and cadence of the film noir language, but with like young, young teenagers. (laughs) And it's just like those two things shouldn't mesh with one another, yet they do mesh so well. And a lot of that is to do with, I think, the screenplay by Ryan Johnson and just... I, I yeah I loved Brick. I'm talking about a movie I weeded yeah, years God. to finally get the Blu-ray for uh, here in the United here in the U.S. Uh, Region One land. It took forever for that to come out. Um, but yeah, I I can't I can't um, agree with you more on that. And that's actually one I didn't even think about <sighs> when it came to um, just you know first time first time movies. But let me go to a couple of the other main ones I want to hit before we get too long. Um, uh, just quickly, uh, Clerks, Kevin Smith's Clerks from 1994. I mean, I don't even need to look up this movie on IMDb. I know it so well. <laughs> I mean, I've watched it so many times, and I'm just a big Kevin Smith fan in general. But it's a movie that famously he made for like $29,000, uh, $30,000, took uh, just did it all on via credit card and stuff. And it's a movie set in a convenience store. <laughs> and it's just about the the day they're the done that. These convenience store clerks and just like their unique, like interactions with one another. You know, you've got like these these you know Jay and Silent Bob characters. It's the origin of the Jay and Silent Bob characters where they're just sitting outside the store, like selling pretty much selling weed and stuff, yeah. and just hanging out. And then like in the st- it, like like you have like the slacker friend who works at the at the place next to you who doesn't give a shit about his job in Randall. And then you've got Dante who's going through like this romance uh, life uh, young like 20 something life crisis when it comes to his romantic life and all that kind of stuff. And what's so fascinating about it is that it just feels very, very natural and, you know, real. Like these are just people talking about stuff. Like at one point they're talking about star Wars and you know what I mean? And, uh, and stuff like that. And, and just like the way in which it's just portrayed in this, the 16 millimeter black and white low budget style became kind of the template for a lot of, um, uh, people, uh, filmmakers or uh, insp- uh, aspiring filmmakers after that who want to like get into movies. It, it, a lot of those movies pulled the veil back of what filmmaking uh, 
uh, can be and what and how you can achieve it. You don't need to have studio backing. You don't need to have a million dollars. You just need, you know, a camera and some people and a script and location and you can do it. I mean, even today, you don't even need all of that. That's how that's how filmmaking has come so far. And a lot of the filmmakers at that time, I think, had that had that low budget guerrilla style. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to do a double a double one again, but I'll just say this. Uh, watch El Mariachi by Robert Rodriguez. That movie was made for like less than ten thousand dollars, and it's just another film from another like first film from that era. Yeah, the, you know, you know, guys like Kevin Smith, um, you know, from that era. A lot of the a lot of these directors are, you know, film buffs. You know, a lot of they a lot of what they even the, the even the you know substance of the you know the the context of the movie the stuff in the movie contents of the movie is is you know got pop culture in it you know you know because at that time movies were coming a lot more regularly available you know you could get vhs's you could get ways you could find ways to watch movies um so now that was bleeding into mo- actual films by filmmakers where they would talk about star wars and they would talk about other things and and really get into it, it would be a part of the conversation. Right. Um, and that's, I think, one of the unique stamps of that era. And with a movie uh, like unique, Clerks. Yeah, and, the, and also the idea of, like, not having to go to film school Yeah. Um, to do it. I mean, Kevin Smith did go to film school, but he went to, like, like a... Like a, like a night like class a or something, program. yeah. Like it was... No, it was, like, a one-year program, I think, in, like, Vancouver somewhere. But someone like, you know, Tarantino didn't go to didn't go to film school or anything or or anything like that. Um yeah, Steve, uh what's your choice, Steven? All right. Um so many choices here. Um Yeah, there's a lot. We at one point we're probably just going to end up We'll just run down, down a list, list of, of some stuff, but um <laughs> we're getting so we're getting to that point. One, one of the big ones and this is when I brought up to um Andrew before when we just talked about doing this episode is uh, you know, if anybody knows me, and you probably saw my post recently of my Satyajit Ray shirt. Um, nice. There we go. The, uh, f- his first movie, uh, Pather Pen- Panchali, I think is how you say it. <coughs> and um, which is, you know, the first movie in the Apu trilogy. And I think originally this movie came out in, I think, 1955, but I don't think it got to the United States till 58. Um, it, it took a few years, but. Um, this is this is very much a kind of a coming of age story itself, um, centering on a young young child Apu, where they live in kind of a impoverished area of uh, Bengali or, or Calcutta uh, yeah. area, maybe. Yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I don't know if it's impoverished. It's it's rural. I would well, say it's more de- rural. They're definitely poor. Um, well, well, I think they they live in like the countryside. And yeah, like but that. I think they're poor. <laughs> I mean, the father is left home to look for to to work for money, and he leaves for months in the movie. Um, mm. They don't have money. I mean, they they're borrowing money from a neighbor that they owe money from, and they get so poor that then though the neighbor hates them, decides to still help them anyway. Um, you know, right. like so they're 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 very they're poor. Um, they're living in a and the, the home that they have is a generational home. They have it because it's their families, um, but it's falling apart, you know. And uh, but he has a sister. Apu has a sister who's who's older that um, is kind of a you would I guess you would call her a a little bit of a rebel. Um, she goes off and does her own things and and 
a lot of times gets um, accused of stealing things and sometimes actually does steal things um, because <laughs> they're poor. <laughs> um, and uh, but yet this is a beautiful movie, you know, and I recently just read a, uh, a book. Um, it's the memoirs of uh, Satyajit Ray about his this time making the Apu trilogy. And it's very you know, is not as detailed as, as I think they would have liked. He, he finished the, the memoirs and then, um, he passed away and they were looking for the final copies, but he got, apparently they got stolen. And so his wife had to cobble together his notes to, to kind of create this book. And there's a lot of interesting stuff about how he tried to get this made. And, and, um, I would very much recommend reading, you know, getting that book and listening to it or reading it. And but it's it's it really inspired me to want to do this episode because there's you know how much trouble a lot of filmmakers have to make their first movie, especially in a time where, um, you know, it was even harder, you know, to get that equipment to get that to get the people together to do it. Nowadays, it's a lot easier to to get in contact with them people, you know, mm-hmm. um, but. I find this to be such a, and you know, this movie has a history of almost disappearing too, you know, um, it almost, the negatives almost got burned in a fire. Um, so, I mean, this movie almost was lost and, uh, right. It's a, it's a, it's a gift that it's, it's still around. It's, it's a fantastic movie and, and the trilogy also, the other two movies are, are fantastic. Um, yeah. Is that you, Judy Ray? Yeah. Talk about a, a, a discovery for cinephiles, I would say. Discovering the films of him are kind of one of the great joys of, I think, exploring cinema. Um, but yeah, I couldn't say enough about. We're definitely going to do an episode. We got to do an episode one on Satyajit Ray. Yeah, probably one or day. Or Ra. Seen. <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, it's either Ray or or Rye. Rye. Yeah, know people. I, apparently, we say it wrong, but we we may have been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. We've been we've been. We've been saying it for like three years. Yeah, but but you know, I mean, it's it's just how we say his how his name is spelled is how we right. say Ray. Yeah. So that's so mispronunciation by us, but not intentional. Not intentional. Not not, not any right. disrespect. Um, right. Because we love that we love his films and uh, yeah, he, he's he's a filmmaker that very is very much influenced by world cinema. Not just you know you know but you know he was trying to make movies that were not like Bollywood. Um, yeah, th- that's the th- the thing with his films, even like his later, f- even throughout his filmography, is when everyone thinks of um, Indian cinema, they think of Bollywood, which in Bollywood is gigantic. It's, it's, it's probably like the it's second the hugest, biggest industry, yeah, film industry in, yeah. in the world. And but his films are not Bollywood; they're just so real and so down to earth and so u- unique. Um, yeah, I I I couldn't agree with Stephen more than about this. I mean, uh, the next one. Again, this, this the next one I'm going to bring up. I I, I want to say it counts. It counts <laughs> for me. I think it counts for a oh, lot of people. Oh Jesus! Here we go. Um, and that is Orson Welles' Citizen Kane. It doesn't count. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. And the reason why I want to say it count it 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 uh, that he did a technically do a film beforehand, but I think it was just yeah. I don't know. He did do a, technically a film beforehand called Too Much Johnson, which is a hilarious name <laughs> if you think about it. Um, it's what what is interesting is uh, just reading uh, the trivia on that film is like the only known copy of this film was said to have been destroyed in a fire 
at Orson Welles' villa in Madrid, Spain in 1970. However, as of 2013, and I remember this, a copy showed up in uh, Pardenon, Italy, um, and it was restored and premiered in October of 2013. So... I don't know. We're, we're splitting hairs here, but we can make up any rules we want because it's our nah, podcast. Well, so I'm just gonna... we don't want to lie, do we? Uh, but it's like the <laughs> film didn't exist, but now it does exist. Go like, ahead and talk about we... your Orson Welles had, movie. Yeah, had we done Jesus. this, had we done this episode ten years ago, we'd be saying that Citizen oh, Kane geez, was the first film. Just talk about Citizen Kane. Fuck. Good, I got the green light. God from damn it! So, so Citizen Kane, um, considered by some the greatest film ever made, um, is one of my all-time favorite films. Um, may or may not be the premiere film of, of one or Get over Welles. it. Just talk about it. Yeah. Starring Joseph Cotton, Agnes Moorhead, uh, Orson Welles himself. And it's a movie about um, the, this, the life and death of the tycoon Charles Foster Kane. And just like, and specifically surrounding what his last words were, which was Rosebud. And you find uh, these. Um, like reporters and people trying to find out what does that word mean. So you just go through this film and it's it's all in like flashback form of his life and they're trying to piece together his life and you're seeing his life. And man, it's it's a film, the way it's structured is just absolutely phenomenal. The acting, the directing, the way it's shot is so unique and so ahead of its time that so many people have taken from it. It's one of the most influential films of all time in terms of movie making. Um, and... It was um, the screenplay was written by Herman J. Mankiewicz from the the Mankiewicz family. If you know uh, Joseph L. Mankiewicz, who, who was a, a great director, um, it's just it, it's it, I can't even put into words how much I want to say about this movie without actually going through a whole diatribe about it. But just to say it's one of my favorites of all time. It's it, there's a reason why it's talked about amongst the best films of all time. Stephen, was that short enough for you? That's uh, that's pretty good. Um. I want to make sure to get it. Get it yeah, in. you got. I had, yeah, to pref- I had to preface. I'm surprised you haven't. I'm. I'm gonna let you talk about this one. I, I got it on my list. Um. Oh, sex lies and videotape. What is interesting is I don't think that that's his first. film. Is that not his first film? I thought. I, I thought that's what I, I saw. Did, did, I saw. Did the, did the, I think did it's the, his. Did the internet lie to me? I don't know. Did the internet lie to you? Um. Because when I went to his IMDb, I looked and it had some stuff beforehand. Um. Ah, yeah. I guess you're right because he had a video documentary. I guess that maybe that doesn't count. And then he had a video short, and then a short, and then I guess Sex Lies and Videotape. You know what? We'll, we'll bend the rules. Sex hey, Lies. Hey, we're bent the rules for goddamn Citizen Kane. No, I, don't, I mean that's Citizen <laughs> Kane. But come on now. <clears throat> but no, but, I mean yeah, this is this. You know, Steven Soderbergh's one of my favorite first yeah. movie, uh, first feature film, um, and it's it's a, uh, once again another movie from the '90s that very much was very influential and, and, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a movie. Uh, it's good. I, I like it. Okay. I, it's, it's not one of my favorite. I mean, let me put it out there. I'm not a huge Soderbergh fan. I know, uh, Andrew likes him more than me. Um, but I do. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. I do. I do really like it. I do a lot. But, um, <laughs> but it, it's definitely, it's got its influence. Um, once again, I'm forgetting names of actors. Um, it's oh, I can do I can do it for yeah, you. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, James, James Spader, Spader, Andy McDowell, yeah. Peter Gallagher, uh, Laura San Giacomo. Um, yeah, it's a movie that when I first saw it years ago, that kind of blew me away, and I still seen it a few times, and I just, I just, 
I, I, I love this film because of just yet again thematic depth and just performances and just carry this film and make it so so interesting and so much more um f- uh, so much more interesting than i think the plot would generally th- lead you to believe for example well i mean if you see, if you hear the title sex lies and videotape you're you're automatically intrigued sure for, sure for the sure, most sure. part i mean uh the film is about a sexually repressed woman's husband is having an affair with her sister and the arrival of a visitor with a rather unusual uh, quote-unquote fetish changes everything and that's and it's 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 a movie about sex lies and there's some videotape involved very descriptive (laughs) title very descriptive but like it's also very play like like the film only takes place in a couple of a couple of um air um see um locations and it's all about dialogue and character interactions and delving into, um, you know, sexuality Se- sexual and the openness repression of it and all know, kind of like, stuff. Yeah. yeah, and because the sister, because uh, Andy McDowell is the sexually repressed one, but her sister's the complete opposite. Yeah. She is extremely sexual in, in terms of the way she dresses, the way she acts, uh, the way she just, you know, is sexually involved literally with her sister's husband. And then you've got um, James Spader character who's an old friend comes to town and he's just also has his own sexual issues with himself as well. And it's just this exploration of all of these these things and the interactions with the characters. And I, I still love this movie. I, I think it's one it's a great uh it's a great debut and I believe it was a big like um It was a, a success. Like sensation. Yeah. Not sensation, but like like a Sundance hit, yeah, like yeah. one of those one of those hits. And I, I would also group Soderbergh into the group of like uh, Rodriguez, Tarantino, Kevin Smith all those people from the 90s and that whole independent era yeah. which I think we did a whole episode on yes, if we I did. don't if I remember you, we correctly. did yeah um all right well I mean do you want to just run down like like just let's just list some stuff don't uh, yeah. and and we'll go back and forth like do a few and I'll do a few like um you sure no you problem. know there's Jordan Peele's get out which was recent um it's a good premiere, very good yeah. opener um ex machina Alex Garland mm, another good I one love that movie um yeah. nightcrawler from Dan Gilroy. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's a great. That's a that's a good one. Well, I've got a couple of couple of older school ones. Uh, the Maltese Falcon, John Huston's premiere, yep. uh, 1940. Talk about quintessential noir. Uh, Mad Max, George Miller's of premiere. Course. Talk about low budget. Uh, Australian filmmaking. Australian, like they they put those cars together with like tape and wires. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers premiere. Um, um, this is Spinal Tap. Which is Rob Reiner's uh, directorial debut, um, and a big one that I think we'll save for a much bigger episode later when we can really get into the franchise, and that is Evil Dead, which is Sam Raimi's premiere, I believe. Yeah. Stephen. Yep, that's right. Um, yeah, let's see, Ivan's Childhood, which is uh, Andrei Tarkovsky's premiere. That's a good film. I still need uh, to see that. One. Uh, yeah, Hard and also Hard Eight, which is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's premiere film, is also. Really, really yeah. good. Um, um, the Hunger, Steve McQueen. Yeah, that's a film. Yeah, um, Terrence Malick's Badlands. Mm, good one. Um, of course, Sp- Spielberg's Dole, uh, which was a TV movie, but um, still very still good. Um, Michael Mann's Thief. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good film. Everyone just talks about Heat. No one remembers Thief. Yeah. Um, you got. Uh, Thank you for smoking from Jason Reitman. Oh, that's a, that's a pretty that. good one, I think. Pretty interesting. 
kind of satirical about about the smoking industry. Um, oh yeah, and like lobbying. And yeah, stuff yeah. Like that. Um, <clears throat> what about the uh, the Iron Giant from Bad Bird? Brad Bird. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I've got another another couple here. Uh, George Washington by David Gordon Green. Yep. Everyone just think he just does raunchy comedies <laughs> and now doing the Halloween movies. But no, he did. He did. He started off in the indie world. Um, Tony Scott's The Hunger is is really really good. Yeah, I liked it, a vampire uh, from, movie. Yeah, yeah, the vampire movie from the early eighties. Um, James L. Brooks's Terms of Endearment. Talk about coming out the gate hot with a Best Picture winner. Um, that's also really really good. Um, let's see. We also have oh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh yeah, of course. Frank Darabont. It's a little some a small kind of film. I don't know if you ever small heard of it. little movie. Um, let's see. I think that's that's everything I have on my list. But there's I got there's I got I got a, I got a, I, I got, got a few more? here. Okay. I'll list them off. Uh, Donnie Darko, Richard Kelly. Oh yeah, Richard Kelly. It's maybe his only um, good film. Jennifer Kent's The Babadook. Oh yes. Um. Spike Jones's being John Malkovich. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, Ryan uh, Ryan Coogler's uh, Fruitville Station. Um, Robert Eggers' The Witch. Um, what a premiere! Yeah, Ari Aster's Hereditary. Um, Darren Aronofsky's Pie. Oh um, yeah. Three point one four. Yeah. Uh, Five hundred days of summer for Mark Webb. Oh yeah, Mark Webb. Um. Half Nelson from uh, Ryan Fleck, mm. um, which is, you know, Ryan Gosling plays a, uh, a drug-addicted uh, teacher. Yeah, it's it's really good, actually. It's a pretty good little indie movie. Um, Kevin Costner's Dances with Wolves. Some people love that movie. I mean, I, I like that movie, but it's a... I still I still haven't seen it. You've never it, seen Dances with it, Wolves? I, I, I owned it on Blu-ray for like, I don't know, like 10 years now. Still haven't watched it. Wow. Because um, it's, like, it's like the director's code, which is like three hours yeah, long. Yeah, it's pretty long, but, you know. You 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 watch Stalker, right? <laughs> I, did. I did watch Stalker, but yeah, but that movie's amazing. I mean, I well, have a more here. Yeah, sure. Uh, Barbara Streisand's Yentl, the good film. Okay. Um, I would also say, um, I mean, there's there's a uh, what about uh, a lot. Ben Affleck's Gone yeah. Baby Gone. Yeah, Ben Affleck's Gone Baby Gone. Um, uh, Robert Redford's Ordinary People, which also won a best, which also won Best Picture. That's another good one. Um, um, uh, you know what? Beasts of the Southern Wild is a great debut film for Ben Zetlin, but he hasn't done anything yeah. since, which is kind of a shame. Uh, Sam Mendes is American Beauty. We all know yeah. Kevin Spacey's a piece of shit, but yeah, well, it's a great film. Yeah. Um, oh, you don't like that? I'm American not a big, ba- I've never, I've never yeah. liked that movie that much. No. I forgot that you don't like that movie. Yeah. Um, a Single Man by Tom Ford. I know Tom Ford's only done two movies, but... Uh, Hadn't he done film. three movies now? I always Th- thought, thought that... he did three um, movies now. Maybe I'm maybe wrong. wrong. I might be wrong. Yeah. Uh, Say Anything, Cameron Crowe. Yes. Yes. Yes, that's yes, a good, good. film. Um, yeah, we also did... Huh? What about um, uh, The Girl Walks Home Alone? Oh, yeah. Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. That's Anna a Li- great... Anna Lily yeah. Emma Poor. Anna Lily Emma Poor? Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a very yeah, interesting vampire movie. <laughs> well, yeah, very interesting. I mean, uh, Danny Boyle's Shallow Grave, we didn't mention. We did a yeah, whole episode on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did a whole episode on that one. Uh, let's see. I mean, there's there's some... Uh, you know what? I'm going to say this. I don't know if it's controversial. This could be the last I thing re- we say. 
I, I know. Talk about bad taste. I really like George Lucas's THX eleven thirty eight. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I've never seen seen it. So I I think it's really good. Um, also, I mean, it's not a it's not his best work. Christopher Nolan's following is also really good. Talking about something that he was experimenting with when he came to like uh, like fractured uh, timelines and like uh, nonlinear plots that he would then u- then use in um, a Memento pretty well. Um, it's um. Yeah, it, it kind of, kind of is a precursor to that. Yeah. Um, it's that, uh, let's see. That, that, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. That's pretty good. We listed a lot. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think. Yeah. Stop think, searching. We stop. Stop, stop searching. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm still scrolling. Yeah, now. Scrolling. I'm, still scrolling. I, I'm gonna end it here. That's gonna be it okay. for this episode. You got, oh, oh, I didn't. I didn't mention my favorite one. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I gotta do it, Steve. Do it. it. Has to happen. David Lynch's Eraserhead. Oh yeah. Shoot. How did you forget that? I don't know how I forgot that. That's the, that's the that's the that's one that like messed the, me up the most. One of the, I th- that's like the one. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um. But uh, cool. All right. Well, that's gonna be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Where can we find you, Andrew? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings, or on Instagram at Cinema Discovery Project. You can find the audio for this podcast on Podbean or at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and hey, keep on watching the movies. I know I will. <laughs>